Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning, destiny, and purpose in your lives as an individual. And also, it is the very purpose and meaning for which all things exist. And that is found in the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love which is also the very source of love, of reality, of all there is. The one true eternal God. I want to share with those that are new, go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And in that writing you will find a lot is highlighted in red print, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos which confirm the reality of what I am saying from many fields of science and from archaeology and so on. These messages are messages for those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal through Jesus Christ. It is a message to the churches around the world, especially in the United States and Canada where I am here because of this crisis the epicenter is in the states where the election was stolen it's too much to talk about here it's not my focus in this message but you can on both of my websites the one at loverealize.com and at ultimatemeaning.com find links on the home page to high quality news sources that tell you the truth, unlike the lying news media we have today. So check those sources out so that you are a good watchman over your nation. What I do is I seek to speak these messages as the oracles of God, because it says in the word of God in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When we gather together as believers, we are also to be always seeking to minister to one another out of the spirit of God, so that the words that we are speaking are not coming from ourselves, but are coming beyond ourselves from the spirit of God by the gifts of his spirit in us. And so I will seek to do that. Let me explain this further. In Revelations 19.10, it says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When I worship God out of spirit and in truth, in great humility and love and reverence, I am filled with his spirit and an overflow beyond myself, from which can spring forth creative utterances coming from the Spirit of God. Now, if you're in a gathering where they don't allow you to do that, you may not know anything about this, but I've been in gatherings where they allow you to do that, and I know that there can be times when you can feel the presence of God literally rising up within you and coming up to your mouth, and you know you're sort of speaking, you don't know what you're going to say, and you don't want to look like a fool in front of everyone. But when you speak forth out of a focus, not on what people are thinking, but because you're so caught up in a love relationship with God, it can come forth as a beautiful song. It can come forth as a prophetic word, as a testimony, as a word of encouragement. 
And so that is what we are to seek to do when we gather together. And I will seek, as explained in Revelations 19.10 that I just quoted, to worship God, to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship as I speak so that this message will come forth and be a message that is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you as an individual and to the churches in this particular time. Part of what facilitates doing this with myself is to cast lots on the Word of God, to get the possibility of any chapter with two different random applications so that I get two chapters that could be any possible chapter. Now, the Word of God says in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And that is true. When you are in a right relationship with God, walking in holiness and in deep love with God, and you do this in great reverence, it works. Most of the time, the two chapters that I get are amazing and are very highly evident as to the theme in both those chapters. Other times, it's not so evident. But as one meditates, one discovers what that theme is. Sometimes it's a contrast. And so I want to share with you what I received. And I just spent a half an hour meditating on these chapters. And then after I have a nap sometimes or immediately after, I speak. In this case, I had a nap and now I'm going to speak this message. I also cast lots to receive the possibility of any worship song out of 1,080 hymns and other sources. And so, first of all, we're going to worship with the song I got by the casting of a lot today. And I'm very fussy. The song has to be a really good song. It has to have the lyrics right in the YouTube video so churches can use it. Because when you go to my site at Love Realized, there's around 100 of these really good quality worship songs there now that can be used in your church service because they have the words on the YouTube video. So today I want to share with you, and almost every time I get these songs, I don't know them myself. They're very different than the typical songs you will hear in the typical church today, but are very in-depth and filled with great meaning and beautiful tunes. And some of them come out of the underground church in China that was persecuted during the work of Watchman Nee many years ago. He was martyred in 1972. So I want to share the song I received by the casting of Lot today and worship with you with that song, first of all. This song is titled, There's a Light Upon the Mountains. And it was from number 954, in the Living Stream Ministry hymn book. So here we go with this song.
triumph, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Today, by the casting of Lot, on August the 19th of 2022, Friday, I received Genesis 22 and Revelation 17. And so I want to share with you, first of all, from Genesis 22. And you will recognize those that are at least somewhat familiar with the Bible, what this is about. And so beginning in verse 10, we read, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Excuse me, I just have to. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Slay not thy, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his own son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord or in the mount of Yahweh, it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Before I go into this, a little drink of water. Revelation 17 is about the whore. The world system in the last days, how does that fit with this? It's describing the Antichrist world system of the last days. The re it is a contrast. The secret to bringing forth the opposite of the world system, which is the corporate bride of Christ that will be pure and spotless for his coming, is in what we see in Genesis 22, 10 to 17. The Lord says to Abraham, as he's about to sacrifice his son, now I know that thou fearest God. And I want to go into a little bit more on that in a moment. But first of all, I want you to imagine. Can you imagine how you would feel? I know when I read this passage this morning, because I was in a period of long time of prayer, which I always am before I do this number of hours in prayer. I was weeping as I read Genesis 22. I was deeply touched. I was feeling what Abraham was feeling. It was not some 
easy thing for him to put his only son and bind his son on the altar. Can you imagine what his son was thinking? Dad, you're going to kill me? And he's forcing him and binding him. Whether his son resisted or not, I do not know. He may have told him, son, don't resist because God's going to raise you from the dead. I'm just obeying God. He told me to do this. Can you believe me with him? Are you willing to just not resist and let me tie you up because I'm doing it either way? Because God's calling me to offer you. And I'm sure the tears were flowing down Abraham's cheeks as he's offering someone so precious to him. Remember, he received this son in his old age when he thought there was no hope that they would ever have children. And now God is saying to offer him up. And he knows, well, if you gave me a son, when it was impossible for you to give me a son, surely you can raise him from the dead as well. You see, he hoped against hope and brought and experienced the power of God to bring forth what was totally impossible. And I can tell you that many of us in our lives, we've been, a, we've been on a long journey like Abraham. And it looks totally hopeless that God will make a way where there is no way to provide for us in our situation. Those things that we know are precious and pure and our desire to serve God. And yet here we're barren. And even that's my experience right now. I'm at the lowest point financially in my life with great debt and nothing in my bank account until my next check comes, or not check, but deposit comes through because of, you know, my car breaking down twice and it being big bills and them reducing GIS by $636 or something. All unexpected. But you know what? And here I'm wanting to have these websites and pay for these hosting. How do you think? And I'm seeing the need is great that the, that the bride of Christ needs to wake up in this hour of such serious crisis. And yes, I've experienced barrenness all my life. I've always wanted a wife. And every time I got found someone to fall in love that was so precious and dear to me, God took them away and it broke my heart. Yes, God calls us all differently. And here in this case, Abraham is offering his very son freely of his own volition after he endured a journey of faith where he had no children and God gave him a child in his old age. God wants us to be in such a close union with him that he will allow us to experience barrenness and see if we'll still trust him or get bitter at God. Abraham was the opposite. He didn't get bitter at God. Because here in his old age, it looked like God had, was finished with him and his life was useless. And that all the, the desires he had to glorify and please God, that God was not even letting him have those things that were so totally pure and good in his heart. The dreams of his heart were pure and good unto God, but God had a deeper work he wanted to do of unconditional love and surrender and faith in him. And the secret is in the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's more than just an intellectual ascent. I can describe it intellectually and will, but what I'm describing intellectually is a reality in the heart. It involves a deep turning of the heart. And in that deep turning of the heart, there is, first of all, 
the recognition of the ultimate trustworthiness of God, that his love is totally integrous, that it will not tolerate corruption, it will not tolerate sin. His love always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. It's the agape love. It is more than feeling and filial love. It is a choice, a choice that always chooses the highest lasting good, which is always in alignment with God, who is the ultimate good. And this love is so integrous that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It is the very antithesis of corruption. It is the very opposite of corruption. It ensures a destiny where there is no corruption that we know as heaven. But what happens when we are in our journey is we see the suffering around us of humanity and of the whole creation, and we see our own suffering, and it's so easy to begin to focus on that and say, God, why would you allow this? And so we begin to become unthankful and we get, begin to have a monotheistic, perverted view of God like Cain developed, as that's what happened to him. You begin to perceive God as some dictator that demands appeasement with your own works, with your own performance, and you lose sight of the fact that the integrous love of God, which is the holiness of God, is good. That God is good. That it is good even in all the suffering. God is good because he is judging all that would corrupt and that judgment involves experiencing the consequences of rebellion against God. And that it goes through the whole creation. But we know in Romans 8, there's a time coming when there's the manifestation of the sons of God and the liberation of the whole creation, which is now under corruption and suffering and pain. This is the secret that God wants his people to have in the last days. That we will love Yahweh. That we will have the genuine fear of God, which always is a choice to reciprocate with thankfulness who God is first in his holiness, which is the integrity of his love. And it's only when you reciprocate God is good in the light of that and delight in the holiness of God. And you know, when you begin to delight in living a holy life and in the holiness of God, you will experience wholeness in your being, a wholeness that takes away the lure, the hypnotic mesmerizing lure of the temporal fulfillments of the lust of the flesh of the pride of life and so on that is broken as we learn to come into a place of holiness in our lives where we no longer observe lying vanities as it says in Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. We learn to bring every thought and desire and subjection to him so that we have a pure, holy relationship with God and that brings wholeness within our being. And as we continue in his word, it says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
And you do indeed come to a place of victory where you learn to be addicted to the wholeness that is in holiness that brings such liberty and freedom in your life over the tendency to be manipulated by the bait of temporal lures used by the powers of darkness. God is calling his people to return to the genuine fear of God, to recognize the holiness of God. And it is out of recognizing the holiness of God that we can only recognize the mercy of God. Because in the light of God's holiness, we recognize how much we need the mercy of God because we see that we are undone. And Abraham, as tears were flowing down his eyes, and he's still trusting God and loving God, hears the voice of the angel saying, spare your son. God will test us to the limit, brothers and sisters, because he's wanting this purity within us that brings such wholeness and fullness of creativity in our being that can bring forth such fulfillment in his kingdom and in our own lives as well. And he's calling us to enter into that in these last days. He's calling us to return to the genuine fear of God. I always like to mention that it's represented the fear of God in the negative and positive symbol. And when you have a negative and positive, you have the shell of electrons that are spinning around the nucleus of the atom that is broken and the flow of energy and of light and of power. And our heart has the spin around it of our own world. And we can so easily become insular and what it takes to break up the hardness in our heart and to bring us into the place of tenderness is learning to spend time seeking him in prayer, reciprocating who God is in his holiness first, obviously. The integrity of his love, the purity of his love, and in his great mercy and goodness towards us. And of course, the negative symbol represents an indestructible foundation, which is the integrity of God's love and cutting off all corruption. The positive symbol is the crossing out of that because God's love is so ultimate in its perfection that he always had in his being the capacity to become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice. It always was in him. He was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created. It was always in his being. And it was a reality also that in this time and space realm, God the Father is beyond the time and space realm. The Son is the full expression of the Father as mentioned in Hebrews 1.3. And that is in the time and space realm. And you couldn't be God if you couldn't rule in person each simultaneously over the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond time and space, beyond creation, in the creation realm as the sun, and filling all dimensions of time and space and creation in the creation realm and beyond as the Holy Spirit. So there's three personages, one God. God wouldn't be God if he couldn't be in person each to rule over those three ultimate aspects of existence. But that's not the topic we're talking about. Now, I want to go back to Revelation 17. And I could talk for hours on this. I can see that. 
I've lost track of the time this time because I forgot to put the timer on. Anyhow. In Revelations, not 7. Yeah, Revelation 17. There's a lot there. It's describing the whore system of the last days. The world system of the last days, which is based on the opposite of what we see a relationship with God is. In this system, it is totally selfish, self-worshipping. And we find that this city that is described here and the Antichrist that is described here in Revelations 18. Well, the whore that is mentioned, and I could you know, bring up actually the scripture here too now on the whore that is mentioned by clicking and going back quite a it says here in verse one and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore which sitteth upon many waters the whore and we go on. With whom the kings of the earth had committed fornication. Do we see that happening today? Oh, yeah. Look at all the leaders around the world, like Macron, bowing before Klaus Schwab and the economic forum, Trudeau doing it. These wicked people that want to reduce the population of the earth from 7 billion down to 1 billion. He writes about it in his book, Klaus Schwab, The COVID Reset. It came out in July of 2020. But that's their plan. And they're doing it through the vaccines and now all the statistics are in. I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But there's this world system. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And that's sure true. Look at the news media and how insensitive people are through all the pleasures of, that are being offered by the world system. The gods of amusement sports instead of praying and seeking God. How many churches are apostate because that's they're caught up in the loves of the world and they don't spend any time significant in their personal lives or corporately seeking God. I don't have time to go into it. I want to touch on what's going on here. What is the result of one giving themselves over to the temporal loves of this world and bowing to serve and selling their souls out to serve their temporal lusts. We see it described in Revelations 18.4, which is describing this world system that was once a de democracy that believed in liberty and freedom and became a whore. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. You see the condition of these people? They're like a foul spirit. They're like in a cage, like an unclean and hateful bird. Their lives are miserable in this world system. 
And that is what we see happening today with all the abominations that are being promoted of same-sex marriage and all these things that are being elevated in defiance against the one true almighty God and in perversion against the way he created things to be. God is calling his people to wake up and come out of her. Now in Revelation 17, we read beginning in verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. That's quite amazing. You're seeing this being and you know he existed way back when. It's like a kind of a counterfeit resurrection. Here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There's seven mountains in Rome. There's seven mountains in different parts of the world. She sits on many waters. In New York, there's seven mountains, I was told. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is. And the other is not yet coming. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. That's Hitler. The ones before that are Atticus Epiphanes that set up the abomination in the Jew, Jewish temple. And you will find throughout history, there is a total of six that were as evil as Hitler and Atticus Epiphanes. And this beast is part of them. And the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth and is of those seven. So he does, he has the same hate for the Jews, the same evil antichrist mindset. And he's going into perdition. The first one was Nimrod, who was very gifted with beautiful songs and poems and was 14 feet, or was it 16 feet tall? I forget which. Some believe that his tomb has been found and that he, and of course there's lots of evidence about his tomb that was found and well preserved and rushed away by I think uh, Dutch authorities or I remember right I've forgotten so he could somehow be raised up like it looks like he rose from the dead and start speaking all his beautiful songs and dark sayings of evil the king of fierce countenance but these people that are in power right now, Klaus Schwab and all those, they think they're the ones that are going to rule the world. But God's going to overthrow them. There's going to be an overthrow of these wicked people around the world. And a time of liberation and a great and gathering of the harvest yet, I believe, before the real Antichrist comes on the scene. So get ready to see God's hand of deliverance in the United States. God's hand of deliverance in Israel as the multitudes from China and from Turkey come down against her and from other countries as described in Ezekiel. And when the nations see this, they will know there's only one true monotheistic God and multitudes of them will turn to God and there will be a great and gathering of the harvest as never before. God is calling his people. And then, as the Antichrist rules over the world, there comes a time when he is overthrown and there's a mighty earthquake just after the two prophets rise from the dead, one on one side of the 
Mount of Olives and on the other. And soon as they rise from the dead and the world sees that, the Lord returns and the Mount of Olives splits in half. At that time, the nation of Israel was defeated militarily. They held off the armies for two days, but they couldn't hold them off longer. According to what one person saw that died and saw the Jewish Messiah, Jewish lad, which I have in my book on and have written on. Look up Jewish boy, NDE, standing for near-death experience, says Jewish lad sees return of Messiah. You might find that interview on YouTube. So there's going to be a mighty earthquake when the Lord returns. All the cities of the nations will fall. It says that right here in Revelations um, 11, 12 to 13. It says it in Revelations 16, 19 to 21. We read there in 19, the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. This is the Babylon that the Antichrist rules from. The other Babylon is destroyed by fire by the Antichrist. But this is the one that exists as the Lord returns and is destroyed by the Lord himself. And it goes on to describe the return of the Lord. And wherever there are believers gathered together, the buildings will not fall around them. And they will be preserved as they are worshiping God in the midst of all the fires of destruction that are described in Isaiah 24. It says they will worship him in the fires and they will praise him in the fires of this destruction. And then the air, as described in Isaiah 33, will be filled with the presence of God and those that are the wicked, when they breathe it, will be burned to ashes from breathing in the air because it will be filled with such a powerful glory of God. And the millennial reign will begin. Brothers and sisters, get ready for his coming and be those that are part of the conquering bride church. I've written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon that shows what you can do in your local congregation so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your assembly and you break the darkness over your community so that multitudes are converted and we conquer the nations with the gospel in these last days. Let's be part of it, brothers and sisters. Wake up. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.